Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 42 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to the show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, a great thank you to all of our subscribers and listeners. Uh, We cannot do this without you, and you guys are fantastic. Joining me as usual is my good friend, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you tonight? Doing well, Larry. Halfway through the busy SummerSlam weekend, but plenty more to come and plenty of good stuff already. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've had a lot of really good stuff this weekend. Strong weekend so far with the stuff we've watched. Uh, tonight we're going to talk ROH uh, Summer Supercard, NXT TakeOver Toronto 2, and Night 17 of the G1 Climax, which were the A Block Finals. There was a lot of great to excellent wrestling overall, Jeremy, and it's been a fun time so far. It has, it has. Um, it's been a, it's been a long weekend, and it's gonna get a little bit longer as SummerSlam will be twenty hours, and then the G One Finals will be about eighteen hours. But it's been good, certainly. And uh, looking forward to finishing things up. Hopefully, SummerSlam isn't like eighteen hours long, but uh, it we'll hope be. for the you best. You know it will be. I know it probably will be, but I'm hoping for the best, Jeremy. Well, good luck with that. Well, that's fair enough. So we will start off with the ROH Summer Supercar 2019 event from Toronto. Real quick, one thing to mention, uh, attendance was not great for the event. We've talked about ROH attendance uh, the last couple months specifically. Overall, year to year, their attendance is down probably on average 150 to 200 a show. Uh, Toronto is traditionally a really great and strong market for them. Uh, they drew, depending on who you listen to, slightly under to a thousand fans, but in a market where they traditionally do very strong and on a SummerSlam weekend cannot be really looked at as a good thing. No, not at all. This, the building looked pretty empty on on camera. I guess they filled up the the floor pretty nicely, but everything else just it looked it looked really bad. Either you've got to come up with a better product to run these shows uh, to get more fans in the building, or you've got to go back to running 200, 300 seat venues. So it looks like you're you're full because this the, the optics of this did not look good at all. Yeah, and unfortunately that is a trend for them and uh. You know, it's obviously not that they don't have talent. It's just a fact that we've talked about this. There's there's not a lot of buzz to this ROH product. There's nothing to really pull you in in terms of getting emotionally invested in someone. Um, there are guys that are doing well. There are guys that are having great matches. They've built up Roosh really well. And people are like, well, don't just pick on Matt Taven. And it's not so much that I'm going to pick on Matt Taven, but we talked about this with Seth Rollins in WWE about ratings being down and live attendance figures being down. And unfortunately, I mean, it is a star-driven business. And, you know, like Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston are were your champions for a while since WrestleMania. And there was a decline in business. And you can't just let ROH go because... Well, Matt Taven's trying really hard. I'm sure he is. 
It's nothing personal against Matt Taven. But you look back at the G1 Supercard, and then you start tracking attendance from there to now, and there's been a steady decline specifically in um, locations where they traditionally do really well, like Toronto. I I think it's... I think you could just go back to the G1 Supercard and, and taking Matt Taven aside, obviously we said it at the time that he was probably the wrong guy to put the title on and he clearly has not lit their business on fire. But that entire card on the ROH side, like they 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 sold out Madison Square Garden. They probably had the most viewers, the, the most eyes on their product that they've had all year and, and may, probably for a while, like even counting some of the elite stuff because this was what, 16,000 fans inside the garden, if not more, and then however many watching on uh, pay-per-view or fight or New Japan World, however you were watching this show, like you were getting a lot of eyeballs on your product and everything they did that night sucked, like everything. Um, from their stupid shoot, non-shoot with Enzo and Cass that went absolutely nowhere. By, by the way, just look where that whole thing went. Absolutely nowhere. From Bully Ray being the, the biggest heel on the show to the Women of Honor stuff and then to, to Matt Taven winning the title. like they They looked so bad on that show to where if you were watching the product, you were like, this was their big chance to deliver. It's very similar to like raw reunion. Um, you know, they had a lot of eyes on the product and they did outside of Bray Wyatt taking out Mick Foley. They really did nothing to make you be like, Oh, we should tune in and watch this every week. And it's no wonder that the, the week after that, um, the big raw reunion rating had, had over 3 million viewers. It was right back down to normal levels the next week, because it's like, they didn't do anything to hook those new viewers and say, this is why you should keep watching. Yeah, I still contend that it was a huge mistake not to put the title on Skrull because he's going to be there yes. through September, November. You could have got the most out of that run, and it was honestly the last straw you could grasp at to try to keep some of those elite fans. Yeah, we, we've talked about this girl situation plenty, how they how they really missed the boat with that whole thing. But I, I agree with you. He he should have won that night, and it would have – it couldn't have been as bad as it is right now for them had they put the title on Skrull. Yeah, so, I mean – and again, like I said, it's not all Matt Taven's fault because, I mean, the product as a whole doesn't have buzz. And it's – like I said, there's nothing to really, really get invested in. So it's not just him. But again, I do think it's a contributing factor because, I mean, Matt Taven's in-ring run as world champion has been pretty good. But, I mean, honestly, can you tell me one person that's like, I'm tuning in for Matt Taven. Matt Taven? Yeah, Matt Taven and his extension. <laughs> that's the only person tuning in for Matt Taven is Matt Taven. Yeah. So anyway, let's get to the show here. They started off with a 10-bell salute to Harley Race, which was very nice. They confirmed that Ladder War was the main event. Ian Riccoboni and Cedric, uh, or not Cedric, fuck, Caprice Coleman. <laughs> Cedric no, Alexander. Yeah, no, I just, uh, oh, I hate when I do shit like that. No, but uh, Caprice were on commentary because Colt is on a tour in the UK doing like 
25 dates in Edinburgh for some dealy, so he won't Cole be back Tucker, for a while. WWE contract. Oh, I guess he lost that title, didn't he? The Yeah, he oh, lost yeah. that to Team Storm. I don't know if that's shown on TV yet or... No, they haven't. Okay. Probably won't. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. So anyway, we opened up with PCO and Brody King defeating uh, Vinny Marseglia and TKO Ryan. Your thoughts? It was fine. Uh, crowd loves PCO and, and Brody King, and you know they they cheered for all of their stuff. No one cares about the kingdom, and PCO and Brody King winning was the correct call because at least they kind of have a little bit of a, a future as a as a hot act with with villain enterprises and just being themselves. Like like they're pretty over. So it, it was a it was a good opener that the the crowd enjoyed due to two of the four men involved. Yeah, good opener. I am glad I was wrong with my prediction and that uh, PCO and Brody King won. Uh, like I said, they're over. They're always a ton of fun. And it uh, looks like they will be going on to a tag title shot probably next month while uh, the Kingdom is going to continue feuding with the bra- the Bouncers as they had a little brawl ringside after the match. Yeah, sure. Get the Kingdom out of here. Yeah. Uh, Silas Young arrived for his match with PJ Black, but he was not dressed to compete. He thought his match was on later. He was hanging out with some fans and having a bunch of drinks, so he was in no condition to perform. So he said basically he had already beat Black, and uh, he had a bunch of accomplishments, and uh, Black should maybe go ahead and earn a rematch with him. So he just left and uh, with a bottle of whiskey and was uh, contempt to just not do a damn thing. So PJ Black said he wanted to wrestle, issued an open challenge, and this is how they got Marty Skrull on the show. We figured they would get Skrull on the show in somewhere, uh, shape or form, just because he is maybe their biggest star. I mean, they, they've completely cooled him off since the Garden, but he's still one of their bigger stars. And he was supposed to fight all this, but the NWA partnership crashed and burned. So uh, this was a fine way to get Skrull on the show and, and gave him a, a victory over PJ Black. And I could totally buy that Silas Young was Yeah, Silas is having no part of this. He uh, he was in uh he was in like I said no condition to perform and was just uh, happy to chill out in the back until we did commentary later on. So Marty ended up beating PJ Black eight minutes and five seconds via pin. Thought it was a good and competitive little match. PJ Black got a decent bit of offense in. But in the end, Marty finished him with the Black Plague. And, uh, yeah, it was good to get Marty on the card because people were excited to see him. And if he's not the biggest star in the company, he's definitely the most over in the company. And I don't think there is any denying that. No, no, not at all. So we moved on to your favorite, Jeremy, the Women of Honor Championship. Kelly Klein defeating Tasha Steeles at 8 minutes and 15 seconds. It was not good. It was slow, sloppy, disjointed. There was absolutely no drama. And just, uh, it was another Kelly Klein ROH match. You already know what I'm going to say. Out of respect to my gimmick, I will not talk about the Women of Honor until they give me a reason to talk about the Women of Honor. And this was not a reason to talk about them. Fair enough. Angelina Love arrived post-match and laid them out. And she looks like next up, as we predicted, for the uh, next title shot. Things thankfully picked up here with a really, really good tag match as Bandito and Mark Haskins defeated Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham, 19 minutes, 50 seconds, via submission with Jay Lethal tapping out. 
Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. They did a lot of... They didn't go with the full Gresham heel turn as we thought they may, but they definitely played up his uh, his new give-no-fucks attitude and his willingness to want to cheat, and that led to some arguments and uh, disagreements and such with Jay Lethal. And in the end, that ended up costing them a good win for Lifeblood, really good tag match, and uh, just a big win tapping out Lethal because... Lethal, even when he loses, has been very protected. So the fact that he tapped that here to Haskins is really good for them. This was absolutely huge for Lifeblood. And not only the victory, but as you said, like tapping out Lethal is a very big deal. And it should be treated that way moving forward. And Haskins, certainly Haskins, since he's the one who, who scored the tap out victory, he should be presented as a threat now because, I mean, Lethal is the most decorated ROH champion of, of all time. So you tap this guy out, you should be um, in a bigger spot moving forward. And I, we'll see what they do with them. Like lifeblood hasn't had a whole lot going for them. They, they've turned things around lately. Like they're going to keep feuding with, villain enterprises and that's fine i i don't know if lifeblood like needs a leader and maybe that's where they're they're kind of a bit colder than you would like is because juice is supposed to be the mouthpiece and the leader for him and then he's gone and so now you're like all right who's really like stepping up and like leading this group otherwise it's just, just kind of three four guys who are good but don't have a, a real mouthpiece who can talk them into those big programs but i would suspect that this would kick off some bigger things for them and especially for haskins yeah hopefully so because as we've talked about what their booking hasn't been the best in terms of picking up wins especially in big matches but they've delivered some really great performances which has been the only thing keeping them over to any degree so, like you said, hopefully they play this up and treat it as a huge win because they did submit Lethal, and they can get some good momentum going forward. Uh, yeah, we, for sure. We kind of stuck with the Lifeblood deal as uh, Tracy Williams was coming out for his TV title match against Shane Taylor, but the mercenary Flip Gordon attacked and beat the shit out of him with a kendo stick, attacking his previously injured shoulder, which postponed the match. So that led into Dalton Castle arriving in his little matador's hat with uh, some boys dressed in bulls masks to taunt Roosh. And that led to our no disqualification match, Jeremy. Roosh defeated Dalton Castle 15 minutes and 20 seconds via pin. Your thoughts? It was it was good. Um, I didn't like, fully like this as much as I was, I was kind of hoping to. I don't know what it was that... I don't want to be repetitive and say the crowd didn't really care about this match, but it was an issue throughout this whole night is the crowd just didn't because it was so small because the, the building was a bit bigger. You just, the crowd just wasn't into a lot of this stuff as they should have. And castle, he's clearly still affected by this back injury and we thought they could pull off enough smoke and mirrors to sort of save that here. They, they really couldn't. It was Roosh winning was the right call, especially with the angle they set up later in the night, but it felt like this should have been more and it just wasn't. Yeah. I mean, they had a great story going in and the feud had been built really well, but overall it was just severely lacking in heat. Not only, like you said, from the crowd, but just, in the ring, the action never felt overly heated. Uh, it never felt really intense or really violent. 
it was, I guess, pretty good. But it never felt like one of the, the big marquee matches on the show, which is what it was supposed to be. As you said, Roosh winning, absolutely the right call. Castle's not in, in position to be a main player right now. He's just not back all the way. And they've spent so much time investing into Roosh. It would have been horrible for him to lose here. No, you couldn't You couldn't have Roosh losing here, and he didn't. So that, that was the correct move. But this... This feud should have been something more for Roosh after his big victory at MSG. It's It almost feels like they should have just left it at that and then had Castle rebuild himself, you know, take longer to kind of get that rebuild and maybe even challenge Roosh sometime next year um, if you're going to put the title on Roosh. But it, this feud didn't do as much for Roosh as it looked like it was going to coming out of MSG. And that was one of the things they did right at MSG. And then they kind of botched it. I agree. Definitely one of the few things they did right on that show. Uh, Tracy Williams was back. He gave no fucks that the doctors did not want him to compete and demanded his TV title match. That led to the TV champion, Shane Taylor defeating Tracy Williams at eight minutes, 35 seconds. I thought it was a good match. It was a nice little story with Williams playing the resilient babyface while Taylor was just a relentless bully and uh, took advantage of every little thing he could here. Uh, Williams fought really hard. Good babyface performance. But in the end, Shane Taylor retains, which makes the most sense, especially when you can work and do a rematch with Jeff Cobb when he comes back. The best in the world, Shane Taylor, does it again. I enjoyed this match. It was it was a fun little eight minute, nine minute sprint. And yeah, the, the story was pretty simple, especially after Flip attacked Tracy Williams and they, they played into that well. And it was a fun match. There you go. So they announced the, uh, which had been un- already announced on social media, they hyped the uh, Joe Hendry signing. Uh, Joe Hendry, he's done a lot in the UK promotions. He was in World of Sport. Had a short run in Impact where he didn't really do much of anything beat Eli Drake a few times, sang some funny songs, but they really felt like they just had no idea what to really do with him. Like, they brought him in because he does a bunch of creative stuff with videos and songs, and then conveniently forgot the fact that, like, he's a black belt in judo and represented, uh, like, the country in the fucking Commonwealth Games and amateur wrestling. So, like, the guy can go, but they just had no idea what to do other than pair him with Grado. I hope they that ROH can get more out of Hendry because he he is a very charismatic guy and he can I I don't know how much he's going to help like they're so cold right now but he's he's certainly a guy who can stand out on the roster if the if given a chance so we'll see how they use him I would imagine he'll kind of float around for a little bit I, I I'm I'm really trying to come up with a leader for Lifeblood and. Henry makes as much sense as anybody just because of his ability to to talk. But at the same time, I don't know how much sense he, he does make. But that group is just such a weird mix of guys anyway that you could throw Henry in there and it would still be like, all right, sure, why not? So I don't know what they're going to do with him, but he he's a charismatic guy. I, I enjoyed the, the little that he had going on in Impact. And so hopefully ROH just uh, uses him a bit better. Yeah, I, I wish him the best of luck. I hope this run works out better for him than the Impact run. And uh. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what exactly they do here. 
Uh, Silas Young joined commentary, and uh, we had our CMLL trios match. Stuka Jr., Sobernaro, and Caristico defeated Hechicero, Templar, and Cavanario just under 13 minutes via submission. Uh, this was exactly what we talked about in the preview. You bring in six CMLL guys, and you just kind of let them do their thing, and guess what? You get a really good and fun match that the crowd liked. Yeah, nothing wrong with this match at all. Again, coming into it, I didn't know uh, the majority of these guys, and I don't know how much I'll be watching of them moving forward just because I don't keep up with the uh, Mexico promotions all that much. I'm sorry, everybody. But this match was what you needed it to be. They they got time to just kind of put on a show, do their own thing, and that's exactly what they did, and the crowd was into it. And, you know, the crowd was into the CMLL match more than most of the ROH stuff. So I don't know what that tells you, but it should tell you something. Yeah, and again, like I said, it's sometimes the simplest booking is absolutely the best. You didn't need to mess around with anything. You didn't have to throw any run-ins or any bullshit like that. Just let those six dudes do their thing. And, yeah, entertaining, very good. I enjoyed it. Uh, Just, I mean, yeah, just keep it simple and let them do their thing, man. Sometimes that's all you need to do with guys. So you don't overthink everything. So we move on. The co-main event of the evening, champion Matt Taven defeated Alex Shelley, 18 minutes, 50 seconds via pin. Jeremy, your thoughts? All right, forget this match for a second. (laughs) Let's talk about this fan who passed out in the front row and his shoe got taken and Shelly threw his shoe at Taven and Taven either threw the shoe back at Shelly and missed or chucked the shoe back at this fan to wake him up, which didn't work, and just basically threw the shoe back into the crowd. And then Shelly woke up the fan. The fan was applauding like he knew what was going on the whole time and this got the biggest pop of anything on this show which should tell you a little something i I think matt taven intentionally threw this shoe at the fan for having the audacity to pass out during uh his match this is the highlight of the match was a fan falling asleep or being passed out drunk during the middle of an roh world title match like if that they should have seen that and called an audible right there and just put the title on Shelly. Yeah, according to a bunch of people that were there live, apparently this dude was heavily drinking before the show, was passed out, and apparently needed medical attention at some point. So, yeah. Well, not that's good. unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, optically, if you're just watching, you don't know that the dude got shit-faced before the show. So it just looks like a fan in the front row fell asleep during your world title match. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I mean, I'm glad Alex Shelley like did the most with it, and it made for like this was. If this spot doesn't happen, like no one's really talking about this ROH show because there wasn't a whole lot of coming out of the show to to give you reason to talk about it, honestly. Um, but yeah, Alex Shelley did draw more attention to it by. Uh, waking the fan up and stealing his shoe and everything. So maybe that wasn't the best look. But uh, yeah, this is the biggest thing coming out of that show. That's where ROH is at right now. Unfortunately. So Taven defeated Shelly just under under 19 minutes. I thought it was very good overall. I mean, it wasn't great by any means. I thought it was very good. The closing stretch was really good. I thought there were some really nice teases of Shelly actually winning the title. I thought he looked good here. Taven retained clean, which is nice. 
And Oxet uh, sets up, as you mentioned earlier, the post-match. Yeah, as far as the match goes, uh, real quickly on that, it, it was fine. It was it was a Matt Taven performance, and Alex Shelley, as much as I love him, couldn't drag anything more out of him like others have, have done during Taven's run. So it was probably on the... And Taven's had a fine in-ring run, uh, and this was kind of on the lower scale of that. I, I wish they'd just gone with Shelley. Like, this Taven run feels so flat, but then... We got Roosh coming out. It looks like that's going to be the the big match for the Death Before Dishonor card, and we will see what happens about that. Yep, and uh, again, it's a it's the natural match that uh, they've lightly been teasing for a while. It makes sense with their history. So, um, yeah, I mean, it uh, again, it makes sense, and I appreciate that. The main event of the show, Jeremy, Ladder War ROH Tag Team Champions, the Briscoes. Defeating the Gorillas of Destiny just over 22 minutes. Uh, while I thought it was far from an all-time best ladder war in ROH, because there have been some absolutely spectacular ones, I thought they had another great match. It was violent, hard-hitting, um, with big bumps. We got blood. Jay Briscoe is like just leaking blood at one point. Uh, it was honestly the style you would have hoped for from these four guys again, and I thought it delivered in the main event spot. Nothing wrong with this match. It was exactly what it needed to be. As you said, was it the best ladder war of all time? No. Um, I didn't expect it to, to top some of those Young Buck matches and uh, some some Steen Nerico matches and stuff. But uh, as far as ladder wars go, as, or as far as ladder matches go, like again, it was what it needed to be. It was very violent. Uh, the, the Briscoe's backs were all fucked up. This... It, it was good. It was a good main event. Um, there was kind of less drama because I never felt like Rills of Destiny were, were going to win, and so that was an issue. But they certainly, like, they beat the hell out of the Briscoes early, and they they gave the impression that all right, that this team's gonna win. The Briscoes made their comeback and obviously won. Still love the Briscoes. Still think they're the most underrated tag team out there. And you put them in a a match style like this, and nine out of ten times they're gonna deliver, and they certainly delivered. Yeah, the Briscoes just don't disappoint. And um, uh, credit to the Gorillas of Destiny. I'm very critical of them a lot of the time. Uh, I think a lot of their New Japan work is generally really boring and overbooked. But uh, they they had two great matches here with the Briscoes in a couple weeks. And, uh, I mean, hey, that's that's awesome. So good for them. I was very happy. And, yeah, definitely delivered in the main event spot. Overall, Jeremy, I thought the uh, ROH show was a good show. Not like a big home run like you would have hoped from an attendance standpoint or an overall show quality standpoint, but a good professional wrestling show overall. It was a fine show, and I don't mean this to sound overly negative. It just felt like a show with very little consequence. Like, I watched this show, and I was just like, all right, it was was a show that happened. And nowadays, with the amount of shows that are out there and considering this was a, a big event for them, like they're, they're holding an event on SummerSlam weekend. They put a lot of hype behind it. And then the, the crowd disappointed. It just felt like you needed a lot more out of this show. And instead I just walked away. Like there was some good matches. There was one really good match, but at the end of the day, like we're going to look back at this show with all the wrestling this weekend and it's probably going to be the worst show out of the six 
definitely a good chance for that to be the case. Again, nothing majorly wrong with it, but it's all fair points because, again, like we talked about, there's just there's not a lot of buzz going on for ROH. And like I said, more importantly than the lack of buzz, it's just there's nothing to get emotionally invested in. It doesn't feel like there's a big star you can latch on to. There's a lot of good to great wrestlers. You know, I love Bandito. I love a lot of guys there. I love PCO. He's wacky and fun, but it's just, it's a show. And like you said, unfortunately, in 2019, you can't afford just to put on solid to good shows. You have to, you have to have some great shows in there. You have to get some attention. I mean, for as much as people still like to fuck around and dog on Impact, when they have a pay-per-view, they're generally very good to great. And people talk about them pretty decently. And, yeah, I mean, but you have to do that every once in a while. You need to knock something out of the park, and they just haven't done it this year. No, and like you like you said about Impact is when they put on pay-per-views, like their pay-per-views are very strong the majority of the time. And that's, you know, that that's at least you're coming out of those shows talking about them. Unfortunately, it never seems to translate to, to any business, and that's largely due to their, their TV deal. And if they could get a better TV deal, then maybe they could uh, boost their profile a little bit more with the strong pay-per-views they do put on. But with ROH, like they're kind of in a TV mess as well where people don't know how to watch them or they're syndicated on certain areas at certain times, and, and who the hell knows. But then they have these shows and it's like, all right, it happened. But again, we're, we're going to review six wrestling shows here on the next two podcasts. I would be surprised if ROH isn't six. Yeah. And it's very possible. It will be. So we will now move on. Jeremy NXT takeover Toronto two 2019. Also obviously in Toronto, we started off, Jeremy, with the NXT uh, tag team title match. And first, before we get into it, because everybody's going to probably make fun of me between the last podcast and my uh, my preview call, my predictions were the absolute shits. <laughs> That's okay. My, yeah, I it mean, happens. Minus a couple. I mean, I, I, I nailed the Io Shirai thing. I, I, I nailed the Mountie entrance with Dream. Yeah, that's the biggest one. <laughs> you, you went out on a sort of a limb there and called that one. That that makes up for getting a wrestling match wrong. Who cares about winners and losers? Those, those things don't, ma- don't matter in WWE anyway. That's right. But I, I got the Velveteen Dream thing right, and I got Adam Cole right. But anyway, uh, NXT Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits defeated the Undisputed Era, 17 minutes via pin. I will go to you for your thoughts first. Montez Ford is a fucking star. The, this guy is fantastic. Um, the the stealing of the, the Rock stuff I thought was fine. If you've ever listened to a Montez Ford interview, he talks about how big of an influence the rock was and is on his uh professional wrestling career so i thought that was a nice little tribute like this guy has just athleticism for days everything he does just amazed me undisputed era always awesome i really want a kyle o'reilly singles run i think this guy rules and angelo dawkins a a good power guy to to montez ford great way to kick off the show i had a feeling this would be kicking off the show because they like to put the the tag title match first because they know 10 out of 10 times, like I won't even say 9 out of 10 times, 10 out of 10 times the, these tag team title matches deliver. And so th- this was the right call here to kick off the show. Cool with Street Profits retaining uh, because 
I, I think they deserve a longer run. We've seen Undisputed Era uh, win the titles before, and, and certainly the Undisputed Era holds all the gold thing would have been a way to go. They obviously went in a different direction. I'm fine with Street Profits winning. I wish if they're going to be on Raw, we saw it here, let these guys wrestle. Like, let these guys showcase themselves in more than just, like, backstage promos because these guys are really good. Yeah, um, and... On to on the other stuff he said on you know with Ford. I mean, obviously a freak athlete, great look. He's also just so fucking charismatic too. Yeah, for he, sure. He has like everything going for him. He is great, and uh, yeah, great way to kick off the show. Great match. The NXT tag teams deliver again. I I fucking love tag team wrestling. Always have. Just you know, growing up an NWA fan, watching so much like rock and roll and midnights and stuff, and just love it, love it, love it. Um. I think the Street Profits just continue to improve. The Undisputed Era continues to prove that they are one of the best tag teams overall in wrestling. I thought they did a really good job of teasing a potential title change. Uh, And again, which I thought we were getting, but the Profits retained. Proved they weren't a fluke as champions. It was hard-hitting, had a lot of great athletic stuff throughout. And uh, yeah, great way to kick off the show. You can't go wrong with the NXT Tag Team title match. No, not at all. So, yeah, definitely a great way to kick off the show. And, uh, in my opinion, got even better. Next up, Io Shirai defeated Candice LeRae 15 minutes via submission. I thought this was absolutely awesome from the opening bell. Candice attacking right away. They kept a great pace throughout. The crowd heat and overall intensity throughout the match was great. The ladies just killed it here. They were completely in their element because Io was a great remorseless heel. She has all these little great mannerisms that are top-notch. She does all the little things so well. And then you have Candace, who is just... She thrives in that baby face fighting from the bottom, gaining sympathy role. So it was like everything worked out just as well as you could have hoped for this. EO picks up the win as we like, as we expected going in. And honestly, though, I was just really thrilled to see that Candace finally got a takeover moment. Because for so long, she's just been like Mrs. Johnny Gargano. To whereas, you know, she was a really big indie star that a lot of people don't realize or want to give her credit for. So the fact that she finally got the shine and have arguably not, not it's either one of or the best match on the show um, was great to see. This match ruled, like, really, really. I love this match. Uh, Heel EO is fucking awesome. Face Candice is... Face Candice is fucking awesome. And and this match was just fantastic. Both ladies busted their asses in this match. As you said, Candice, like, if you haven't watched her on PWG or any of these indie shows, then you don't quite know what to expect from her because she hasn't really had much showcase in nxt like her biggest showcase has been showing up by gargano's side and talking him out of doing dark things and whatnot i did like that the announcers they may have mentioned it once or twice they didn't go full bore with that in this match and if they did i've i must be very good at tuning out more ronaldo which uh i don't think i am because it's tough to tune out more ronaldo uh, that they didn't go full bore with the whole this is Johnny Gargano's wife like they she was Candice LeRae professional wrestler and she more than 
held her own in this match and, and proved that she's more than just Mrs. Johnny Gargano. Yeah, I, I love this match. I can't say enough good things about it. Io winning, certainly the right call. Candice passing out, it, it keeps her over. And we talked about that in the preview. Like You can make two stars in this match. With uh, You can really kick off Io's heel run uh, with, a, with a big victory. And even though Candice hasn't been presented as like a, a top-notch wrestler or, or a real threat on NXT television leading up to this you can show that that's what she can be uh if you book this the correct way and this was certainly booked the correct way i I love everything about this match yeah this fucking ruled it was just great uh there's no other way to put it i mean just excellent stuff here i loved it Uh, i just like and i think the pacing too is just really great and the other thing just the the intensity they were able to keep great crowd heat and um like i said both women playing their roles almost perfectly I mean, just so good. EO is really great as a heel. Like I said, it's all those little things. And then when you're juxtaposing that against such a strong underdog babyface in Candace, that's just a recipe for success. Yep. So I would love to see a rematch down the line. Uh, And hopefully this gets Candace, like you said, kicked off a bit on TV and more of a, more of a regular role and more of a threat because she has so much to offer and, if you didn't see that coming out of this match, I have no idea what you were watching. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we actually had a little uh, mid-show angle, which they rarely do on TakeOver. Matt Riddle arrived, was pissed off, called out Killian Dane for a fight. They had a big brawl. They were trying to kill each other. They beat up a bunch of officials. They brawled up onto the stage, just trying to kill each other. And it ended with Killian Dane fighting people off, and then... uh. Riddle had a choke on him, and he dove off the stage, and they went through tables. Really strong angle from these two to not only get them on takeover, and but it also keeps their feud going and uh, smartly done without burning a match. I, I enjoyed this angle, as you said. Takeovers they don't do this a lot, if at all, and. You know, Riddle, he, he's a big star in NXT. The the feud with Killian Dane. A lot of people thought this was going to be on TakeOver after it didn't happen on Wednesday's NXT. But this was a good way to continue it here and then build it for a future episode of NXT. Like, Riddle always comes off really strong and believable. Killian Dane is a monster, and, and that's what he was presented as here. So I, I enjoyed this angle. So we move on to the NXT North American Championship match. The Velveteen Dream gets a special entrance with the Raptors uh, cheerleader dancers, and they had Mountie uniforms on. We got some of the Mountie music, and then Velveteen Dream appeared in his Mountie-themed gear, including uh, gear including suspenders. Okay, Larry, let me let me ask you this: Can you name me three Toronto Raptors from the championship team? Nope. Dude, I pretty much don't watch basketball. You know, I watch basketball when you hang out with me. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to see. I'm sorry to do that to you and put you on the spot. There. No, that's fine. I, I, I forget. Uh, was, was it was it Kawhi Leonard? Was that the one dude? Right? There you go. Okay. There you go. And then, and then I'm going to go with the obvious wrong answer, but he's the all-time great Vince Carter. Because I know he's not there anymore, but still, Vince Carter's great. I mean, Vince Carter's still in the league. I know. So I'll give, I'll give you a half I a point know for that, that one. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, most of my basketball stuff just comes from watching the DP show. I, I just, uh, I don't have a lot of time for it. Plus, like, nobody in the house will watch it with me, so it's not as fun. 
I I understand. So, but Velveteen Dream uh, got the the Mountie themed entrance, so I I will take the W on that one. One of the few things I got right. <laughs> I did see you posted about that on Twitter that I called it. I I was very proud of that. Hey, I've got to give you credit when you when you call something like the you know the Mountie entrance here because I. That wasn't something I had really thought of. I figured he would do the Raptors thing seemed kind of obvious to me since they, they just won the title. Uh, but I, I wasn't thinking Mountie. So, hey, anytime someone, you know, so someone gets something right, they should get credit for it. Yeah. Yeah. But Velveteen Dream continues his trend of having really fun takeover entrances. So that was cool. And then we had our match and no undisputed clean sweep, obviously, with the tag title loss. And then, uh, the Velveteen Dream defeated Pete Dunne and Roderick Strong. 17 minutes, 45 seconds. Jeremy, I go to you first. Really fun match. I love all three of these guys. They didn't work the typical triple threat formula where it was uh, Guy is on the outside for, for too long. They, they did a lot of three-way spots, which is what triple threat should be. It shouldn't be just a guy laying outside for five minutes while a single match takes place um but yeah i i enjoyed this match the, the closing stretch was was really strong stuff with uh everyone kind of running wild and getting their shine and then uh velveteen dream coming off the the top rope with with the victory i thought what was it worked because it, it's roderick strong but like you know dream hits the dream valley driver then strong comes in and tosses him to the outside. And it's like, okay, why doesn't he pin Pete Dunn off of that? Instead, he's got to hit his backbreaker. And, and on one hand, it doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't he just pin him? On the other hand, it's like, well, Roderick Strong probably just wants to beat this guy with his own move because he's he's Roderick Strong and he thinks that much of himself. Uh, so that worked and that cost him in the end because Dream was able to come off the top rope. And then he pinned, I mean, he connected with uh the elbow on Strong, and then still kind of pinned Pete Dunne off of Strong's move. So we'll see if that still leads to a singles match between Strong and Dream. But those are little things that you can look for in NXT because you have a feeling they will follow up on stuff like that, whereas maybe the main roster wouldn't. Overall, just a just a great match between three uh, great professional wrestlers. I'm not going to lie. When Roderick Strong did not win here, my first thought was, are they going to pull the big swerve and have Cole lose the main event and call up the undisputed error? Yeah, this was this was a popular theory on 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 the Twitter machine that undisputed error was kind of getting a send off here and they were going to be called up. But as we saw in the main event, I mean, it could still happen. Who the hell knows? Because the wild card, but uh, yeah. I, I that that was a sentiment from a, a lot of people that I saw on Twitter. Yeah, that was like my first thought. I was like, wow, I was like, because that would really throw everybody. Because I think a lot of people were thinking like me, and were kind of thinking the potential undisputed era clean sweep, and then they 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 failed. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I, that would definitely be a. I wouldn't have saw that one coming. That would have been a big surprise for sure. But as for this match, a uh, great match. Love all three guys. I thought the pacing was really strong. As you mentioned, they worked the triple threat formula really well because they all got a chance to shine. They didn't do the someone takes a nap for five minutes. thought the closing stretch was excellent at times. Tons of great near falls. Good teases of a possible title change. But Dream managed to retain to continue on with his reign. And now we have to wonder, Jeremy, where exactly he goes next and who may take the title off of him. 
there's still plenty of challengers for oh, Dream. Yeah. Like they can heat up anybody in a second. Like they still have Keith Lee, Damian Priest, Kushida. Like there, there's three names right there who, um, spoiler alert, Jordan Miles wins the breakout tournament and he can challenge for any title. Like he could possibly enter into this feud. It, there's so much talent at NXT and they do for the most part a good job of getting anybody over quickly we'll talk about one person that that failed on here in a second but uh, i'm not worried about velatine's dream title run this guy they know he's a star i mean you you saw the the 2k20 commercial look who was the only nxt person in that commercial and look who he shared that commercial with like they know what they got in this guy yeah definitely um so yeah really enjoyable stuff they they delivered like we figured they would next up the nxt women's championship match Champion Shayna Baszler defeated Mia Yim 14 and a half minutes via submission. Uh, death taxes and Shayna Baszler retaining the takeover, Jeremy. <laughs> um, okay, I thought the match was good. I thought the layout was fine. The work was overly strong overall. Um, I liked the fact that Mia Yim was mostly kind of taking shortcuts and kind of fighting dirty, taking it to the street to... Counter all Shayna's MMA style stuff. The problem was is this: there was like no heat for this match at all. There was no real intensity to it, and I try not to compare matches, but I mean, you look at EO versus Candice, and you compare it to this, and there's no comparison. I love Mia Yim, but um, if you judge by the crowd reaction. They made the right call because it wasn't time for a title change because I don't think anybody would have cared. Um, my feeling now is, I mean, obviously you have EO set up for a possible title shot, but uh, if she's healthy, they could be building to a Dakota Kai return to finally get her revenge on Shayna Baszler. This is the the match and the person I was talking about when discussing them heating up people and they usually do it so well in a short amount of time and Mia Yim was was not it I I, I said this leading up to the match there, there's nothing wrong with Mia Yim it just she never came off as a as a credible challenger to me no matter how hard they you know they tried to push her into this match like she she beat Bianca Belair which was a good win. She she might have even beaten her twice, uh, and you know those are those are that, that's a good win over Bianca Belair. She she may have had another win in there, but she didn't have like a big signature win. And and not to say beating Belair is meaningless, but it's not like she snapped Belair's undefeated streak or anything. Like Baszler had done that, and then Baszler even beat her again in the the Fatal Four Way match. So Belair wasn't even perceived to, to be on the level she was, uh, you know, at the, the beginning of this year. And then Mia Yam attacks Baszler's friends, Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir. And it's like, okay, like why, why does this make you credible? Like Duke and Shafir even like, they've just been kind of lackeys on television. So if anything, it just makes Mia Yim like just kind of a bully in herself. And I get the story is like, Shayna Baszler's MMA stuff isn't going to to matter against uh, someone like from the streets like Mia Yim who grew up with a rough childhood like Mia Yim. I get the story. 
the women worked really hard. I like the story they told of Yim attacking Bezos' arm to, so she couldn't fully lock in the, the clutch and, and taking the shortcuts, as you said. Like, they, they worked hard. They told a fine story leading up to it. They told a fine story during the match. It's just no one bought it, and, and that was the problem is – there was nothing technically wrong with anything they did with Yim and Baszler leading up to it and then in this match. It's just no one bought Mia Yim, and, and that's what it was. And you know, Baszler won, and that was the right call based on the reactions here because if, if Yim had won the title here, it would have not gone over well. I don't know if she would have gotten a reaction at all because the the crowd wasn't reacting to anything in this match. Yeah, and that's definitely a shame. Again, far from bad. I thought it was good, but just it, it didn't get past good. And, I mean, technically the worst match on the show. Obviously not bad, but it just it didn't click boxes. It didn't it didn't deliver what I was hoping it would in any way. And just like, like you said, nobody cared. No. So, and that takes us to our main event, Jeremy. Champion Adam Cole defeated Johnny Gargano in a best two out of three falls match. Right around 50 minutes. The first fall, Jeremy, was a regular wrestling match. It went 20 minutes and 45 seconds when Johnny Gargano intentionally got disqualified with a chair shot. And that led into the street fight uh, portion of the match. They went on a little bit. Uh, Johnny Gargano evens it up with the Gargano escape at 20, 29 minutes and 33 seconds. And then the mystery third fall was what I called the Carnage Cage match. It was basically lethal lockdown minus the roof coming to NXT. It was a cage filled with weapons and tables and ladders and barbed wire around the top. And it looked really cool and they had it kind of hidden up top, and when they brought it down, I will say it got a really great reaction. Yeah, they they didn't tell the live crowd. They didn't play like it, we watched the the pre-show and we saw Regal announce the the Cage of Doom, the Doomsday Cage match of Singular Death, uh, with, with all the weapons and stuff. So we knew what was coming. They did not show this to the live crowd the live crowd obviously saw the big black tarp and you know there was plenty of pictures posted online of the, the tarp to give away that it was a cage match but they didn't know that the weapons were, were a part of it so when they saw that i'm, I'm sure that's why they it got the reaction did and that, that was a smart call by by wwe nxt because if you give it away beforehand it's not going to get that same reaction you get that shock factor in there of you bring this cage down, but it's not just a cage. It's got barbed wire and weapons around it. So, so good call there. Yeah. So that was the third fall and they worked about 20 minutes in the third fall, uh, beat the ever living shit out of each other. Weapon shots galore. We had table spots. We had the ladder involved. Lots of just crazy stuff, obviously going all out to try to end the feud and, Overall, I thought it was a tremendous war with the whole match. Uh, it really should serve as the blow-off to the feud because everything they did here felt like they were culminating and ending this feud. And, um, you know, the, both guys were basically trying to deliver the death blow at various times. 
And unfortunately for Johnny Gargano, the finish was perfectly fitting for his character. Because every time he has the tendency to go too far to get a little too dark, in this instance he was trying to stab Adam Cole's face with barbed wire he had freed from the top. They were battling on a table and then they flew off through tables onto the mat. And Adam Cole draped the arm over. He was dead and pinned him to retain. So, I thought it was excellent overall. Johnny Gargano ends up costing himself in the end. I think I prefer the other two matches more over this one. Not that anything was wrong with it. I do think it would have been better if it was a little shorter. I got that they were fully going for that big dramatic epic match. Um, and the crowd loved it and they stayed with it. Which is a credit to the guys. Because it's hard to keep people involved for 50 minutes. Especially in 2019. And I've said this before in various matches. I think sometimes, though, you need a little more Tombstone and a little less Wyatt Earp. So, and if you don't get the reference, it's movies about basically the same thing. Kevin Costner made the Wyatt Earp movie. It's the complete tale of Wyatt Earp's life. And it's like SummerSlam. It feels seven hours long. Tombstone is just all the shit with the Earps and Tombstone. It's like 90 minutes. And it's all the shit that people want to see because... Nobody cares that Wyatt Earp was married and his first wife died from, like, the fucking plague or whatever and all her bronchitis or whatever the fuck she had. They just want to see the shootout, the OK Corral, and Doc Holliday and all that shit. So sometimes you're a little bit better than off with that. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, Jeremy. It feels like that, uh, feels like this is it and Gargano needs to move on. I'm glad you explained Tombstone and Wyatt Earp to me because I didn't know. Tombstone's the uh, the, the Clint Eastwood movie, right? Uh, he, no? He might have directed it. I know it has Kurt Russell on it. Oh, all right. I might be complete. That's the Undertaker's finisher, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm glad you explained that. It's cinema, I, Jeremy. I enjoyed Watch the match. <laughs> Sorry, I'm too busy watching basketball. I I enjoyed the match. It you knew it was going to be long because it was a two out of three falls match, and then the first match went or the yeah the first fall went like 20 minutes, and then you knew the final fall was going to go like 20 minutes. So you knew they were going to be pushing an hour here. It didn't feel long to me. I, I thought the the pace they kept it up for the majority of the match. The crowd was into everything. I think that that obviously played a, a big part of it because this could have died really bad if the if the crowd was you know if, if they if they saw it the same way of this is too long we, we've seen these guys go two out of three falls before but they're they're so invested in both of these guys that they were in it the whole way they kept building you know they they built it well it's a it's a wrestling match and then it's a street fight and then it's a this is cage war with with all these you know over the top weapons that we've kind of already seen in a street fight, but now they're confined to the ring. Uh, so it played well. The only time the crowd was like not invested was they definitely thought thumbtacks were in that bag, and it was uh, the the William Regal special of, of brass knucks and and other uh, accoutrements uh, of the of that sort, uh, including the the pliers that Gargano used to to cut the barbed wire. Overall, though, like both these guys are just so good at, at professional wrestling, and I loved, I loved the wrestling match the the most out of this because 
both guys are just great professional wrestlers and i like the the pump fake stuff like they've done so many matches together that they know each other um we, we've discussed the the christian and randy orton feud before where when you have so many matches against each other like you can start playing off of that and you can start pumping to counter and then counter the counters and that's what these two guys so I really enjoyed the, the first fall. The second fall, they picked it up. Third fall was just batshit crazy. And then the final table spot where they missed the one table. And I agree with you on, on the Gargano thing. I've seen people complain of like, well, he used to be this underdog baby face. And now he's just kind of a muddled character that, that doesn't know what he's doing. And it's like, yeah, that's sort of his character, though. Like, he was the underdog baby face. He got pushed to the dark end. And then he was kind of brought back to the light, but he still can't help himself. Like there's there's layers to all of this. And Gargano feeling like he had to go that extra mile here because he hates this guy so much. Like this is a guy who went into his, his father's pizza joint and uh, upstaged his dad, it felt like, or disrespected his uh, the his his family's place of work to where you know where he grew up on where the the thing that his family built their name off of before he became a wrestler like he wanted to go to those depths to try to destroy this man and it cost them i i think everything in this feud worked i understand that because it was kind of long and because it was technically their what they had six they, they had four matches prior to this because two out of three <laughs> falls and then another singles match so they had four matches prior to this, and then you're talking about three more matches here. I understand there's some burnout on this match. That's why this this was definitely the end of it. I don't know if you saw the post-show angle where Gargano got the big greeting from William Regal and got the big ovation. It seems like Gargano might be done. We don't know that for certain, but it's it's possible that he might be done. And if he's not... like. I don't know where Gargano goes from here in NXT. This guy's accomplished everything. He can't just be a guy in NXT. He he's his, he's too over for that. So a main roster run makes sense for him now, and and Adam Cole can continue to to run roughshod of NXT, and we'll see where Undisputed Era goes because Adam Cole's been making promises, and his boys ain't delivering. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that will be interesting to see where we go next step-wise and as we build towards war games. Overall, Jeremy, I thought it was another great TakeOver show. It's TakeOver. It always delivers. Like, what what, are, what else are you going to say? It's, it's TakeOver. I mean, honestly, that's about all you can say these days because it's like I, I, I've yet to see a bad TakeOver, so... But we will finish. No, up. they had okay. one. Oh, I was going to say they had one like okay to to good match on this, and everything else was was great to awesome. Exactly. So we will move on and close up tonight's show with coverage of night seventeen of the New Japan Pro Wrestling G One Climax Twenty Nine Tournament. Night 17, A Block action, the final night for A Block as we look to crown the A Block winner. We started off with Lance Archer defeating Evil, 9 minutes 50 seconds. I thought it was a very good Hossy battle. Lance Archer delivering another very good performance overall. Picking up a big win he needed to close out his tournament. And I just hope they really have something good planned for him moving forward. Because after this tournament, I think he deserves it. I've said it plenty of times. I feel like they're setting up Archer for a U.S. title run that... 
that should be where he goes from here. You've said it plenty of times. Archer should be the the monster in the company over Bad Luck Fale. Archer's work this tournament was just outstanding. He didn't have the the victories to match it. I mean, he he did beat Osprey and he did beat Evil here to to open and close his tournament. And in between, you know, he didn't have victories, but he performance-wise, all of his matches, the majority, the 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 Fowley match sucked, but the majority of his matches were were very strong. And I, I hope this guy gets to do more moving forward because he doesn't have a whole lot of time left. He's he's forty, even over forty, so he doesn't. He's he's a little long in the tooth. So get the most out of him uh, while you can. Yeah, and I we've talked about it before. I think it's. The Lance Archer thing is also a great story because the dude is 42. He had a back surgery a couple years ago, thought he was going to have to retire. Gets to come back into the G1 after a five-year absence and honestly killed it. He did really great, and I'm very happy for him. And I just uh, I hope they have good things planned going forward because I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. Definitely, definitely. Next up, Bad Luck Fale defeated Sonata at 10 minutes and 40 seconds. It wasn't as horrible as some of his previous matches. We still had the usual Giotto and Chase Owens bullshit because they had to actually get Chase Owens in there to work some spots with Sonata, so the match actually felt like it had some movement. (laughs) Um, But uh, the weirdest thing at the end of this tournament is the so-called late bloomer Bad Luck Fale winning with fucking wrestling holds. And cradles and shit. This was... They finally figured something out with Fale in this. It was, it was too little too late. And his matches, like, the meat of them still are not very good. But I'll give them credit for the this late bloomer stuff with him. And we'll see what happens with him moving forward. I hope that it doesn't kick off a thing where he's still in this top position. Because Archer deserves that more than him. But... It's something different for Fale, and I can appreciate that they're trying something something different with him. Yeah. So it's uh it was at least kind of interesting. I'll give him that. Next up, Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Kenta 16 and a half minutes via submission. Your thoughts. I love Zack Sabre Jr. None of these matches count on his record because Taka was not there the entire G1. And that was the most disappointing thing about this G1 by far. There, there's not even a a close second. Like, no Taka just took me out of every single Zack Sabre Jr. match. As far as the match goes, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I always loved Zack Sabre. Uh, he, he worked a smart match against Kenta. We know Kenta's injury history. So Zack Sabre attacking those injuries. I mean, why wouldn't Zack Sabre do that? Kenta had a... Good tournament in ring wise. He obviously lost a lot of momentum after the Okada match, and by the end of it, kind of felt like an afterthought. And I, I think that kind of sucks. But we'll see where he goes from here. He certainly looked a lot more motivated than his WWE run, and he's come more comfortable in Japan. He can have the the style of matches he, he really wants to have in Japan. So good tournament for for both guys, and uh, you know, eights were wild in this block. Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty great. Uh, I thought it was a nice mix of uh, striking versus submission work. thought the str- uh, layout was overly strong. Uh, Sabre overcoming in the end was really good because the whole match was based on attacks of the previously injured shoulder of Kenta, which paid off at the end with the submission. So 
Really enjoyed that. It made sense. It all worked out well. I thought they both worked really hard. And they delivered. So just, uh, yeah, great match. Yeah, I I hope Taka is back for the finals. It'd be great. I hope he is back soon. So we move on to the co-main event of the evening, Jeremy. Big match Will Ospreay defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi just over 17 minutes uh, via pin. I thought this was absolutely excellent. It's easily the biggest win of Osprey's New Japan career and and, and his career overall because you beat Tanahashi via pin clean. That's huge. Uh, again, excellent. I thought Tanahashi, again, working a crafty tournament, working to outsmart the uh, the younger and faster Osprey, And he was more than game, but the problem was is Osprey was just too much for him speed-wise. And just uh, Tanahashi to where he would be really smart and counter out of things and be able to do stuff. He just didn't have the speed to follow it up. So the counter work was great. The game plan was really good by Tanahashi. Really smart. and he. But like I said, didn't have enough to keep Osprey down or to fully keep up. And now they're going to really play the heavy uh, what's next for Tanahashi game following in terms of a win-loss tournament, a disappointing G1. A lot of great matches here, um, or a lot of great stuff here. Um, just there was big expectations going into this because Tanahashi obviously still an all-time great. Ospreys has been having bangers all fucking year long. They absolutely delivered here, but the best part about it is they were able to tell a heavy Tanahashi-style storytelling match, but never sacrificed any of the stuff that makes a Will Osprey match special. He was still super athletic, just super, all the counter stuff, and like the closing stretch stuff was really good. The end is just great because Osprey counters into a cradle, then he just fucking destroys Tanahashi with a hook kick to the face, hits the hidden blade and the Stormbreaker, and that was it. Big, super clean win for Will Osprey. Didn't have the best win-loss record, but had a ton of excellent matches. And again, the biggest win of his career going forward. This will, as you said, Osprey didn't have the the best win-loss record in this tournament, but that's all going to be forgotten because he pinned Hiroshi Tanahashi on the final night of, of block action. And like that's what people are going to remember from Osprey's tournament. So that, that was laid out very well by, by Gato. And he used the the super combo to finish off Tanahashi, which they they can't run the risk of overdoing the super combo. I, I'd like to see them get back to just you know one Stormbreaker, one Oz Cutter ends up winning it, so he doesn't have to pull it out every single time. But pulling it out against Hiroshi Tanahashi obviously makes a ton of sense because it's it's Tanahashi. The, the match was great. You knew Osprey was going to work his ass off in this match because it was a dream match for him. You knew Tanahashi was going to work his ass off because that's what Tanahashi does. Tanahashi, you look at his overall record, like this was a disappointing G1 for him as far as win-loss goes, especially coming off winning the G1 last year. So you can now you know play the whole, okay, what's, what's Tanahashi got left kind of thing, and you can get plenty of mileage out of that because really anything you can you do with Tanahashi gets plenty of mileage. The The match was great. I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about it because, I mean, it's Osprey and 
you know, it's Osprey and Tanahashi. Of course it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely loved it. And then we went to the main event, and I thought we had another absolutely amazing match. Kota Ibushi defeated Kashiko Okada 25-11 via pin. And with the win, Ibushi wins the A block outright. Uh, technically tied with Okada, but since he beat Okada, had the tiebreaker. Both ended at 7-2. and two. I thought that they would actually heavily tease the draw more and go closer to the 30-minute mark. Um, but I'm absolutely, I'm not complaining at all. I thought the closing stretch was really out of this world. Some insane counters, near falls, the crowd was with it the entire time. Um, And Ibushi not only wins the block, but even if he doesn't win the G1, has a guaranteed title shot in the future, which is always good. I thought it was a great roller coaster, just kind of emotionally up and down throughout the whole thing. And um, yeah, A block closes out with... um, in my opinion, one of, if not the best nights of action overall, and two of the tournament's best matches, I thought. For sure. Uh, Abushi Okada, they were always going to to deliver, much like Tanahashi and Osprey. Like, you just put great wrestlers against each other, and you let them go out for as long as they need. And in this, they, they had up to 30 minutes. And I'm with you. I thought it would go closer to 28, 29 minutes because... Abushi needed to to be desperate in those final minutes because he needed a win. Okada only needed a draw to to win the block, but they they it made Abushi look stronger that it was twenty five minutes. They you know Okada couldn't even take him to to that draw limit to closer to the draw limit, and you know that that does a lot for Abushi. And as you said, even if he doesn't win the the G one, he's got his guaranteed title shot now, which maybe kind of says he's not going to win the G1 but we'll we'll see we will we'll find out on Monday morning how how that all plays out still um fantastic match between these two Ibushi goes back to his uh second straight finals and we will see who he faces cuz there's still four guys left in B block yeah so absolutely great night of action just tremendously fun to watch had a blast with that one and uh I know the G1 is not done. No, I still have uh, two shows, but uh, I do want to throw a thank you out to everybody who has been uh, following along with the reviews, uh, both here on the podcast and the written ones. Uh, every year, uh, G1 coverage, I have done my best to make it as good as possible. And every year, we've gotten more and more readership. And that's something I've really worked hard on over the last few years is to do as much New Japan coverage as possible and get it to a level to where it is really really worth it to the site because there was a point where got people were just like oh japanese crap and just kind of ignored it and it's now really blossomed into something and we have a really great audience so i want to thank you guys i greatly appreciate it and uh makes it worth getting up all the early mornings jeremy Hey, listen, you are a, a stronger man than I am, Larry Zonka. I've, I've seen it firsthand how you get up every morning for these shows. You were reviewing them all live. I only got up for the A Block finals, and I'll be up for a B Block in the actual finals. But otherwise, I, I binge-watched a lot of this stuff because I can't be getting up that early. But Larry's up every morning reviewing it and then he reviews five shows after that this is a man who still reviews impact wrestling for some reason so and roh wrestling like i don't know what you're doing larry but you're a strong strong man i'm just doing what i can with what i have man (laughs) 
So, but yeah, uh, thank you guys. We appreciate it. We will be back sometime Monday, and we will Monday right after the G one. We will review uh, SummerSlam <laughs> and the uh, B Block Finals, and then the overall G one final event. Uh, that is five or two a.m. Monday morning. So not much after SummerSlam ends. A busy weekend continues. Uh, remember, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, call all your friends about us, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the old iTunes. Jeremy, thank you as always, my friend. Yep, we will talk more wrestling right after the G1 Finals. That's right. We will be back, and it will be a good time had by all because I have a feeling we still have a lot of great wrestling heading towards us, Jeremy. Uh, For sure. I mean, we still have two New Japan shows, so we know we're getting plenty of great wrestling there. And WWE can can deliver, and I think they maybe maybe they'll pull off something for SummerSlam. But if nothing else, we'll, we'll have the two New Japan shows, which will be awesome. That's right. So thank you guys again and have a good rest of your weekend.